It's the classic story of boy meets girl. Girl sacrifices herself for peace in the universe. Boy falls far too hard in love with a new girl that looks eerily familiar. Girl returns having never actually died. Boy leaves new girl for his old flame. New girl, well, we'll see. Who's that girl? It's Madeline. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. I'm Justin. Wow, wow, we wah. Okay. Today, I'm assuming we're talking about Inferno, the OG. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> when we just did... The intro, Justin just whipped off his sweatshirt and I just was excited. I, I didn't know why, but I just thought, oh, that was a flashy, but he's just he's just living his best life right now. He's just warm. And then he's wearing his Justice for Madeline t-shirt underneath. Oh, man. Justice for Madeline. Amazing. I should have known. If you had told me, I would have worn mine. Well, we're not technically talking about Inferno today. Oh, okay. We're going to piece together a few of the places we've already been and fast-track through some events to get a base understanding of the recently resurrected Madeline Pryor. Okay, I'm into that. I like to have information that I don't currently have. Great. Well, tell me, what, what do you know about Madeline? Because unlike a few other episodes where we focused on one particular character, you actually have read or gone through a number of her issues especially recently. Oh, goodness. I always get so nervous when we get to this point because I feel like I'm supposed to know more, and I don't. I don't. <laughs> um, what do I know about Madeline? Okay. <clears throat> I know that she is a clone of Jean Grey, created by the man, Sinister himself. Mm -hmm. And what... I don't remember why he was. She was created to get Scott to to and to have Gene babies. Yep, basically. Scott. And then, okay. And I know that she is the mother of baby Nathan. Baby Christopher Nathan Christopher Charles Summers. Yep. And I know that Cyclops does her dirty, and he up and leaves her, and she's mad, and she's pregnant for a little while. Because she had a baby, and that's it. That's really all I know. Is am I supposed to know well, more than that? Uh, I mean, technically you do, but it doesn't really tie into this. She becomes anodyne in the Asgardian Wars crossover. And, oh yes, and you did read that. I did read that. But and then there are a handful of other things, especially relevant to Hellions. She is recently resurrected on Krakoa after yes. being denied resurrection. Alex Summers is is quite is excited about that. Yes, He's, he loves her. So, yeah, okay, so I know a couple other things. Yeah, yeah, You just yeah. said them. I'm going to give you some time markers and issue numbers. I know that you said, like, I'm not I'm not remembering any of those, but I still think it's, it's my attempt to try and build this overall timeline in your mind. Yes, okay, right? before we start, can I just say something? Yes. I am so excited right now what? because I feel like we haven't done an episode like this in a little while, and I love these episodes, especially now that I know more and more i just feel like i get so much excitement for like getting an ex history lesson nice and nice. i feel like it ties into things so much better now so i don't know i just and i'm i love the feeling of reacting live in the moment <laughs> so okay i'm excited let's go so you don't actually know but this has been the spine of season three the story of gene gray the phoenix and madeline Pryor. okay 
The Spine. Season three started with the Hellfire Gala, yes, but also with the Phoenix Saga. Mm. And then the Dark Phoenix Saga. And then the retcon of Jean Grey. And then somewhat passing through the trial of Magneto, but not really. And then there's also a, a secondary Spine character that you might be able to guess later on, but we'll talk about in another episode. Okay. So Jean Grey died as the Phoenix, as the Dark Phoenix, in Uncanny X-Men 137. At the end of the Dark Phoenix saga. Mm-hmm. Scott leaves in 138, right? Yes, sure. He wanders the country, the world, and in Uncanny X-Men 168. So this is after Days of Future Past. This is after the backstory of Charles and, and Magneto meeting. Scott and Alex are meeting their grandparents for the first time with Corsair. So, oh, their grandparents. And at the last page, there's a reveal as the two are picked up by a pilot who works for their grandparents, a Miss Madeline Pryor. Oh. And Scott is hey, speechless. Hey, I've seen that image before. He's like, wah, wah, wee, wah, who is that? Welcome to Alaska. My name's Madeline Pryor. <laughs> and that's it. That's all. That's, that's her intro. There she is. Look at him freaking out. Look at it. His Look eyes at are eyebrow. wide it's through raised. his ruby quartz glasses. Two issues later, we get a side story bookend of their first date. Scott first mentions Madeline's resemblance to Jean. Oh my God. Is that a picture of Jean? Yeah. And, and she freaks out too. I <laughs> In mean, his wallet. Right. Right. Well, I mean, it's your dead wife. You're going to keep a so. picture of her in your yeah. wallet. That well, makes they, sense. They weren't married. Oh, they never got married. Scott and Jean never got married at that time. At that time. Okay. Well, still. So, I mean, they're talking, they're having, after bringing up your dead love that looks eerily familiar to me, they just continue with the date. Do they both know each other are mutants at this point? No. No. And it's also not really known or teased or talked about if Madeline is a mutant or if she has the genetic possibilities of being a mutant got it at the end of that issue he freaks out because she rightfully you know questions the fact that he's been wearing these red sunglasses exactly the that was going to be my next time. question yeah and he freaks out and essentially like hits her as he runs away no cyclops rude well i mean all right so this, this is a, an interesting point your, your mutant identity your world that fears and hates you you're on a first date running away is one thing hitting her it's not on purpose like he doesn't punch her in the face he, he like dodges and accidentally hits into her okay all right i just feel like you are you were like well another reason to condemn scott summers well you said he hits her well she says you hit me you hit me i'm sorry madeline i didn't mean to and on the last page of the issue he demonstrates his power for her. <gasps> whoa he tells her he tells her he shows her crazy blasting through the center of a quarter <laughs> that next issue, Madeline freaks out while sleeping. Oh, no. She's having a flashback nightmare to her first time flying as a commercial pilot. There was a crash, an explosion, and fire. Madeline was the only survivor of that crash. Now, let me ask you a question. Sure. Madeline is a clone of Jean. Yes. At what age was she, quote unquote, born? We don't know that yet. Oh, we don't know that yet. 
My apologies, carry on. <laughs> You're asking about questions at the end of the story. <laughs> I just, I'm it's a, like, I'm just trying to put it all together in my head. And I'm thinking this woman was generated like after Cyclops and Jean were already a thing. So she couldn't have been a child because she wouldn't have had enough time to grow up. Right. Okay, well, wait till later to get my answer. I mean, you're not going to get the answer this episode. It's just, it's not relevant uh, to where we're at right now. I understand what you're talking about. But okay, anyway. I'll hold it for later. Put it in my brain pocket. So Madeline was the only survivor of this plane crash on September 1st, 1980. My own personal day of infamy. And Scott on that bottom panel freaking out. But that's the day Jean Grey died. I like how he has to say her whole name. That's the day Jean Grey died. Well, you don't call her Jean. I mean, unless you're screaming her name. Unless you're saying, Jean! So the main story about this issue is about Rogue showing up at the X-Mansion for the first time. And an interesting side beat as the X-Men go into the danger room and Ilyana unconsciously summons a simulation of Belasco's throne room. Oh. It actually takes over Ilyana's senses and she attacks Kitty. Oh, no. And she's able to cut her on the cheek <gasps> with her soul sword. No. She remembers what happened Aww. in limbo. But that's a story for a different day. Oh, look at them. They're so cute. They're hugging each other. I remembered. I would like to hear that story one day. <laughs> Just so earlier. <laughs> what story? Though? All of them. Anything about Kitty? <laughs> Kitty and magic. Jeez. <laughs> Come on, man. So, uh. issue 174. So, they Scott and Madeline met in issue 168. Less than 10 issues later, they get engaged. Okay, Scott. Which I want to talk about. Is this is this unhealthy from the start? Because he is wrecked mentally thinking this is my resurrected... Are you, you, you're the phoenix. You have to be the phoenix. You have to be my resurrected dead love. Looks oh, just he, like her. He thinks that, huh? You see that in his thought bubbles constantly throughout these pages. Wow. Is this just him transferring the emotional baggage that 100%. he carries? 100%. Rushing into this new relationship. I mean, you know, you, you read the pages and they do have a lot of chemistry. They do have a love for each other. But it's kind yeah, of suspect you can, to- from the you can start. totally see, especially if that's in his thought process, like you can totally see him thinking especially with the date connection and all of the stuff that she's just gene right reincarnated in some way well in this in these two issues where scott is proposing to her mastermind plays a hand in manipulating them trying oh, to get revenge for what had Mr. happened to him yes. scott flat out asks madeline if she is phoenix <laughs> if she's gene gray resurrected in that last panel that's awkward, and that's why she pushes are away. You, like, Are you uh, the reincarnation of Jean Grey? Are you Phoenix? Not only does she push away, she decks him in the face. Ooh, she hits him. Yeah. She hits him hard. That's a hefty punch, Madeline. Which, oddly enough, later on towards the end of that issue, mm, she comes out of the room sporting Phoenix powers, looking like Dark Phoenix. What? What's going on in your mind? I don't understand. Wait, what? So she is. So, mm, <laughs> how? How? 
Oh, that's a cute little Christmas card photo of the two of them. <laughs> that was actually placed out of order. But yeah, that's that's probably one of my favorite pictures of the two of them. That's such a like, that right there just looks like an 80s, 90s. They got to go on a ski slope. They're in outer space, actually. Oh. But yes, uh, tons of tons of battles happen and... They defeat Mastermind and and discover that it was his manipulations that made it seem as though Madeline was Dark Phoenix. Okay. But there's also, there's just so much suspicious connection between Madeline and Jean. The the visual connection, the fact that we're bringing together this Mastermind's coming in right at the inopportune time. Yeah, who invited him? He invites himself places. (laughs) That yeah, next issue. It's very suspect, this whole situation. Oh, yeah. That next issue, after visiting Jean Grey's grave. It looks like he's about to go get married. He is. That's a tux. Around all family and friends and Logan grimacing at the bottom of that page. What do you Scott mean? Scott and Madeline get married. Dang. You never married Jean, but you married Madeline in a heartbeat. I mean, he did ask Jean to get married. He when... just kind of had a whole Phoenix situation. Yeah, right. She had a lot going on. They were superheroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they lived happily ever after. No, they didn't. Yeah. And end of story. It's not the end. He leaves her end alone. Of part, end of part one. On a couch. End of part one. So she can cry <laughs> what are while your he sees Jean on TV. What are your thoughts about this? I already asked you the question that I had initially thought of about this this kind of negative baggage going into this relationship but now that you've seen at least the starts of their relationship what are your what are your reactions i agree that it happens really quickly and it's interesting and it's also interesting because aside from mastermind making her appear to to be phoenix she's just a regular lady right at this point right she's just a regular lady so I haven't seen many non-mutant people this prominent in a story yet. Also, I mean, this is why we're doing an episode of Concentrated Madeline, because that all happened across almost 10 issues. Right, right. But like, I'm just saying, I'm sure there are other humans who are involved in multiple issues like that and are like friends of the x-men and stevie hunter peter corbo i just don't know them well is what i'm saying like that's what i'm pulling from this is like okay she's a she's a human supposedly who at this point who's pretty involved um well i mean really she's pretty involved with scott right that's what i mean And and it's their kind of side story in a couple of pages every issue or so every other issue that hey scott's got this side story going on and he's gonna get married well, it just seems like Scott's got trauma, I guess. Yeah, and, and hopefully Madeline can help him with that trauma. Probs not. Probs not. So even though it wasn't the original intent, the seeds are there for an extreme resemblance to Jean Grey and a constant fear in the back of Scott's mind of their connection. The Dark Phoenix, Mastermind, I'd imagine that this is the end of that potential story and they would go on to live a happy life together, except when... Scott gets pulled into Secret Wars 2, which we're not going to talk about today. Or when Rachel calls a few times to try and tell Scott that he's her dad, which doesn't really ever happen and doesn't tie into this at all. (laughs) We get occasional snippets of life between the two of them, their honeymoon, their happiness, and all is happy. All is good. So this is essentially when Claremont was going to have Scott do the the dip. He he was going to retire. He was done. You know, you got the 
somewhat photocopy of the love of your life. He's just living. He's just living now. He's just a man with crazy eyes. Until issue 197. Oh. When Moira calls Scott in. Xavier is hurt, dying from being attacked, which brings him and Maddie to the mansion in time for the end of Asgardian Wars. And then X-Men 200, The Trial of Magneto. Ah. So this is actually happening after they had been pulled into the Alpha Flight crossover that starts as Guardian Wars. But then the end where at the end of it, they, they reappear in Paris mm. in all their funny outfits. and Yeah, and, and Madeline doesn't get a phone call from Scott, but she gets a phone call from everyone else saying, yep. Hey, girl, you pregnant. How you doing? Yeah, right. And Scott's like, I'm busy because I'm, I'm busy. I'm an X-Man again. Now, I do just want to mention Uncanny 201. Okay. As I mention it every time I can. It's one of my favorite issues. Storm vs. Cyclops. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. I mention it constantly whenever we pass over it, but there's also going to be a retcon added to it that I absolutely hate. Oh. There was interference causing Storm to win. What? And that was the retcon written after the fact. No. Yes. Who said? <laughs> Who wrote it? <laughs> Claremont. Christopher. I believe. And and that is then later revealed to be the reason why Scott loses that battle. What interference? We don't know just yet. Ugh, you do know. So here, <laughs> here is where we would slot Wait, in. The... Don't you all love how Justin just passes over <laughs> my questions like, shh, we're not talking about that right now. Here's where we would slot in <laughs> like the that. start of the original X Factor, the end of our last retcon wrangler. Gene is back. And Scott has left Madeline. Yep. And that's rough. That is rough. But for some reason, in Uncanny 206, we get an update. We think it might be Madeline. There's been a terrible accident. No, no. A tease, but nothing fully explained. Rachel, in the panel ahead, going through an identity inner monologue as we cut to a stretcher, an unidentified Jane Doe. With multiple gunshot wounds. Oh my. The visual connection between the photo in Rachel's hand and the person in the stretcher leading us to believe that it's Madeline. Leading us to believe that Madeline's hair was a different color this whole time. (laughs) It's a bit of a cliffhanger that doesn't get followed up on for almost 10 issues. That's annoying. Yes. But, you know, suspense! Now I do want to mention, instead of doing a character-focused episode, I was thinking I may focus episodes around the events that lead up to them. But Mm -hmm. they don't really tell the full story necessary and you gloss over their impact. So only details and introductions happen. So I went with this approach, but we're passing through right now the Mutant Massacre. Oh. The first X-Men crossover event where we meet the Marauders for the first time. The OG Marauders. And they attack in the Morlock Tunnels. Oh, no. Not the same Marauders that you know and love. No, no. The dirty, dirty, evil ones. Yes, with Grey Crow, who was at the time named Scalp Hunter, which is a very questionable name. Yes, this actually does help to understand why Storm reacts the way she does when Kate names the team the Marauders. Because she, at that time, was the leader of the Morlocks. Was Kate around when the original Marauders... Kate is, is involved. Thing? Yes, Kate is involved in. Kate has been around this entire right, yeah, stretch of continuity. That's right. You said that the whole thing about her and magic. Okay. When when Scott leaves in one thirty eight, 
Mm-hmm. She arrives at the door of Xavier's mansion at the end of the issue. Okay. In a so similar... she should have known about the Marauders. Oh, no, no she totally knew. Ah. Like she's she's injured, and that, that is what causes her to be injured, and then... Oh, and not be able to phase and stuff? Not be able to unphase. Oh, not be able to unphase. Interesting. Interesting choice, Catherine. But this issue, this episode isn't about her. It's also interesting to note that the teams in the Mutant Massacre don't actually cross over. They don't even really work together. Nobody sees the members of the other team besides X-Factor and Magneto from a distance. And Wolverine kind of picks up some sense. But our first crossover is really more of a, a shared location with individual stories. All I right. We'll one day go through the Mutant Massacre. Yeah. Because I think it's it's an important story. Mm-hmm. Seems but like But I didn't it. want to rush through it for no, this. No, no. It needs tender love and care. No, oh, no, it was a plane exploding. In Uncanny 215. So the Mutant Massacre starts in 210. In 215, we get details of how Madeline got to the hospital in 206. She was hired as a pilot for a cargo plane to San Francisco. There was a crash. She walked away. Again? And as you can see, you won't potentially recognize him, but this man right here. Wait, Jason Wingard? No. No. That's Scalp Hunter. That's Grey Crow. Oh. They are trying to attack, to kill, to get rid of Madeline Pryor. Oh, no. The Marauders? Yes. They throw her out of an ambulance? No, she throws them out of an ambulance. She throws herself out of the ambulance. She throws herself out of the ambulance. And that's what leads her to be at the hospital. I see. That's how she got shot. Yes. Grey Crow did it. In 221, big issue. Big issue, baby. We meet for the first time in his first appearance. The suspense is killing me. The man responsible. <gasps> Mr. Sinister in his Look glory. At his- disgusting amazing face he's been mentioned before but here's the real deal revealed naming him as the one in charge of the marauders oh no i forge you into one of the deadliest fighting forces the world has ever seen and you fail to kill madeline but you created her dude why you want her dead so that is not revealed at this time just kidding we don't know that yet sabertooth is upset with the fact that he's being ordered around by Sinister. Sabretooth was a original member of the Marauders. Mm. And just look at the power between the two of them. Sinister just picks him right up by the throat. And that is saying something. Sinister wants to prevent Madeline from contacting the X-Men or X-Factor. He knows everything and has been planning in the shadows for who knows how long. Dang. So there's a second attack on oh, Madeline. Oh, Wolverine is dressed like a little cowboy. But this time, the <laughs> X-Men are involved. A lot has changed. Storm has left the team. She's put Wolverine in charge. Our lineup has evolved since the Mutant Massacre, adding Psylocke, Dazzler, Longshot, and then Havoc to the team. Rogue has red hair. Yeah, kind of. Dazzler. I still want to know more about Dazzler. Madeline had reached out to the X-Men, confused why did Cyclops dump her and take the baby? And take the baby? The baby's nowhere to be found. This kicks up a lot of animosity between Wolverine and Havoc, which continues throughout their stretch. Oh, me, oh, my. Wolverine doesn't get along with any of the Summers brothers. Classic. But I bet that he and Corsair would be really good friends. That makes Space sense. Space pirate and Wolverine. Space cowboy. Basically. 
It's revealed to the X-Men that all record of Madeline has been erased. Erased? Something that Scott actually found out months earlier in X-Factor 13. So if you weren't reading X-Factor at all, this is the first time you would have heard about it. In the issue, Scott goes back to their home to find it empty for sale and there being no record of Madeline anywhere. Oh man, she's erased. She blipped. We get an epic battle between the Marauders and the X-Men and Madeline as she is able to disarm some of the members of the Marauders. Interesting. And at the end of this issue, Polaris reveals herself as the leader of the Marauders. Oh, whoa. See that green hair and those Yeah, that's those an eyes. interesting little mask situation she's got going on there. Oh, yeah. That whole costume is... Something else. Oh, shoulder pads. I mean, big picture, we find out later on that it's actually Malice taking over Polaris. All right. You know who Malice is. Maybe I do. <laughs> you met her one issue of Excalibur, the current run, where she gets her body back and has a real name. And oh, she's the ghost lady. Yes. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. So she essentially takes people over and manipulates them. She's Not mm, Alice. Yes, yes. <laughs> Now, the rest of the arc reveals that Polaris has been under Malice's control, which continues on, but also pulls Madeline and Alex closer together. Oh. With their shared loss of faith in their respective former partners, right? So ah. Polaris is off being a bad guy. Scott has disappeared and taken the baby somehow. So they're both lonely. They find each other. Presumed dead, potentially. Oh. They meet on this mountaintop. Now... That's 223. 225 to 227 is the fall of the mutants. After the boosted sales success of Mutant Massacre, Editorial wanted to keep them going. Annual crossovers begins. Oh. The second is a lot less of a character crossover, more of a thematic crossover, which I actually really like. It kind of just has the same sentiments across the books. It dealt a lot with the general public's perception of mutants as dangerous criminals and the proposal of a mutant registration act. Ah, uh, yes. It also, I have heard of this. Yeah. It also repowered or enhanced the powers of some, and we had our first team member's death in a while, a death that sticks for a long time. Oh, no, who? We won't talk about that today. Oh, come on. It's Doug Ramsey. Doug Ramsey <gasps> no, dies in New Mutants. Doug. He, he stays dead for a, for a while, yeah. For a while, yeah. So there's been a storm plot throughout a lot of these issues that we're talking about that I haven't gone through. Haven't mentioned primarily because it's a lot to unpack. So we're going to just gloss over how, the how and why of it all. Okay. But it weaves. I'm getting with, better at keeping all this stuff, you know, in line because I have a bigger frame of reference. So Nice. Good. So you knew that Storm had lost her powers, right? Yes. And right. that's when she fought Cyclops powerless and right. still won. Right. I'm going to ignore what you said earlier about some kind of interference. I ignore it as well. So great. <laughs> the story weaves forge and a villain known as the adversary together into Storm's story okay the fall of the mutants is where it all comes to a head and affects the full team it all has to do with a spell forge had cast back during the vietnam war which reveals a lot about forge in a short sentence right yeah forge does magic the shaman of sorts yes in the vietnam war yep yep the spell needed to be cast again to rid the world of the adversary. So he had he had taken un he had taken against their wills 
the nine souls of his fallen comrades and use them in this spell to banish something. Okay. And because it was against their will, they did not give themselves willingly. Forge did this. Yes. The adversary was able to gain power and strength and has come back. Okay. So that's kind of a really high level, all the things that have been happening through the actual X-Men story, because we're just picking and choosing Madeline Pages. Mm-hmm. I was going <clears> to <throat> I was gonna ask a question about what you're saying now about Forge, but I feel like maybe I shouldn't. You can ask. So does that mean that Forge has to get nine willing souls now to do it the right way? Yes, he does. And does that mean that nine people are going to be dead? Yes, it does. Are you going to tell me who they are? Yes, I will. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So they need a sacrifice of nine souls and the X-Men step up to do it. Oh, the team. The team that I had mentioned before with Madeline and reuniting them with Colossus and a repowered storm. Wait, Madeline is one of these people? Yes. Madeline is one of the nine people. She's just like, yeah, you know what? Cyclops doesn't love me anymore. I have nothing. I have no hope. I'm going to just, I'll just come along for this little ride. Honestly, that's that's basically her reasoning. Uh, she's actually asked by a, a news reporter. They go into this other dimension and Neil Conan, who is a NPR news reporter. Hey, he's the guy from the, the other story. Yeah. Also ties into that. Yes. So he actually follows them in with a camera on his shoulder and live records and broadcasts everything that's going on. Whoa. And and he asks her, why are you here? She says, where does it say, Mr. Conan, that you have to be a mutant to believe in what the X-Men stand for? Ooh, but you are a mutant. And we don't know that yet. to fight by their side, to echo Martin Luther King, a world where people are judged by the content of their character, not by race or color or powers. We're all human. Why can't we all be treated like it? Hmm. It's pretty powerful stuff from Madeline. Yeah. Good job, Maddie. So these are our nine souls. I'm sorry. A forge and storm making out? Oh, yeah. You didn't know? They were... (laughs) (laughs) So... Oh, yeah. No, I did not know. So Storm and Forge essentially spend, I think, a year or more in a alternate dimension where just a couple of seconds pass by, moments pass by in our world. And that is how together Forge, using parts from his cybernetics and other things, creates a device to repower Storm. Oh. Because he was the one that created the original device. That depowered her? Yes. Is the gun? Yes. <gasps> that gun. Yeah, that was a big... That was oh. a big... That, I mean, we're not talking about that right now, but we're that's a big... We're not talking about that right now, but <laughs> oh, oh, oh my goodness. It wasn't intended for her, and it did get out of control, but he was hired by the government to develop this depowering gun that was supposed The to, gun. Yes, the gun. Just makes me want to do that song from Chicago. The gun, 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 the gun. Anyway. Wow. Oh my goodness. So live in this other dimension, Madeline gives a message to Scott. Oh, you listening? Wherever you are, I wish you all the best. Find our son. Keep him safe. Raise him well. I love you. Goodbye. Oh, sad. But he's like, well, I'm off with Jean, so (laughs) don't care. Forge casts the spell and they all die. Oh, goodness gravy. Dazzler died. We just got, I just got her in a store and now she's dead. They're all dead. 
They're all dead. That's the end. Thoughts? Upset by that statement. They're all dead. That's the end. Uh, okay. So that's the end of part two, I guess. Thoughts. Thoughts, thoughts. Well, so essentially, Madeline has become an X-Men. But she's a human. Right. That's she pretty has, cool. But she has become an X-Man throughout that arc. She has bonded with the team. She was rescued by them and now is is going on some missions in some way. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's an interesting concept to have her be a part of the team like that. I think it's cool to learn about all these other little connections and just really how consistent the X-Men stories seem to be with this idea that there's multiple things happening at once. So many things. Like that's interesting, but also feels like it could be really confusing. Well, especially to that point, similarly with the current Krakoan era, there's you're asking a lot of the reader to juggle and build these concurrent Mm storylines. And that is generally why I like this process of cutting through and picking out, hey, this is the story that we're talking about today. This is the character that we're focusing on. This is the arc that, for whatever yeah. reason, we're going to discuss and dissect. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for more. This is the death that everyone in Excalibur is referencing. Excalibur, the sword is drawn when they're all depressed that the X-Men are dead. Oh. Brian's sister has died. All of Kitty's friends have died. Yes. Because this is why they form Excalibur, because the world needs to have Xavier's dream continued. But Kitty is not part of this nine, which is interesting. Because she joins Excalibur. Oh, she joins Excalibur before the X-Men do this. Right. Got it. Well, no. I mean, so she joins Excalibur after the X-Men do this because this is the inciting incident that causes Excalibur to form. Right. But but she she was part of the X-Men. She was off the X-Men after... Was that when Charles sent her away? After the mutant massacre, she has no control over her power and goes through various ways to... I'm already forgetting things. Right. So, and that's, it's it's a lot of things that are happening at the same time, right? Got it. And you're not actually reading the story, so... Yes, fair. Okay. Roma. I know that name. From Excalibur and Otherworld. Yes. She's the daughter of Merlin. Yes. She's the one when they go and they and Saturnine's talking and she's like and then she's in this one little lonely planet and they come above her and there's Roma and Arthur. Isn't it Roma and Arthur? Anyway, I know who she is. Okay. <laughs> so she sees their great sacrifice, the X-Men, these nine souls, and takes pity. Oh. She restores them to life. <gasps> yeah, Roma, good for you, girl. And they resurface in Australia and take on the Reavers, stealing their base and freeing Gateway, who I think you actually know as yes. well. Yes. Wait, is this the start of the Outback era? This is the start of the Outback era. Oh, I don't know what it is, but I know I hear people talk about it. <laughs> it is one of my favorite eras of X-Men comics. Roma also makes it so computers and technology can't see them. Oh, so they're hidden. Which is important. And because of that, they decide, the team as a, as a team decides to operate under the radar, to just be able to do superheroics without the stigma of mutants, without the stigma of the X-Men. The X-Men are actually celebrated as heroes because of their sacrifice here. It's live streams oh. broadcast on TV that they gave their lives to protect the world. Amazing. After that, she also gives them the Siege Perilous, which I've referenced a handful yes, of times. Yes, I feel like I know that that's a thing, but I don't remember what it is. It ties into Psylocke's retcon Wrangler story. 
Oh. And it, it's not going to come up here because it actually happens after Inferno that they use it. But okay. it is a way to return back to life in some way, not having the inability to be seen by technology or, or recognized or anything like Oh, so like, like, that. like, let's, like resets them, Essentially, basically. Yes. There's some more details around that that might tie into the Gambit series because oh, oh, oh. that is where young Storm comes from. Oh. Oh, when she's de-aged to a baby? To a teen. Because we got to de-age people. To a teen, not a baby, but yeah. A baby. So thus begins the Outback era, which one of my favorite runs of comics. This team, this concept, this new location shakes it all up. So they're operating in the Reavers tech base in Australia. Gateway is able to transport them around the world. Cool. The Reavers had been manipulating him to help them in their pursuits. Oh, and then they set him free. Yes. So we pick up in issue 230 as Madeline is operating as their tech specialist, the guy in the chair. Oh, guy in the chair. Gradually learning all of the computer systems that the Reavers left behind. Feeling as though this is giving her value. This is bringing use to her where she has felt otherwise like she's not contributing to this. She's not really a part of this team. Right. She took this wild leap into becoming an X-Man, into becoming a... A freedom fighter for the world, but now what does she do? You know, she can't. Right. Go she doesn't on have any powers. Wink, right. wink. Right. So, in issues two thirty two to two thirty four, the X Men are off fighting the Brood. As Madeline is back at the base and she's trying to design some kind of in, insignia for the team, trying to make like a symbol for the X Men. Mm-hmm. And while she's there, looks like she's making the Captain Marvel symbol. Right. <laughs> she sees on a TV screen Scott and Jean together. Uh-oh. And then she gets mad. What the? A TV interview? It's Scott. And and beside him, that woman, she's me. No, it's Marvel Girl, Jean Grey. The woman he loved before he married me. But she's supposed to be dead. And, and the way they're standing, relating to each other. No wonder he left me and our baby. It's clear as day he loves her. The way he never loved me. Oh, God, that hurts. As she punches into the computer screen. As she punches into the computer screen and it explodes. Knocking her on Bam! But can we just take a moment? Just go back for one second. What in the name of Marvel Comics are those two wearing? What are those costumes? What are you talking about? Cyclops and Jean. Are those the costumes that were in that one random issue of X-Men that I was like, these are the most horrific things I've ever seen? Yes. That, That's why they're burned in my brain. <laughs> That's exactly where those costumes come from. No, never again. Stop well, stop drawing them. Then we need to avoid a large section of X Factor because those are their outfits. I actually have an action figure of that Scott Sup- uh, uh, actually have an action figure of that Scott Summers. It's just a, it's just not a I'm not a fan of that look why? for either of the Well, okay, Scott is not so bad. Gene, what is happening there? Interesting to note, it hasn't come up here, and I don't think we even referenced it in the retcon Wranglers of Jean, but when she was resurrected, she no longer has access to her telepathy. What? She's only a telekinetic. Interesting. Which keeps a lot of the information that she would benefit from knowing about Scott and his secret love and mm-hmm. that everybody knows about but doesn't tell her. But he, So he doesn't tell her. For a while, yeah. Like, so where's the baby? Ah. Uh, find out uh, so, okay so 
you know, I'm just saying, the more I hear about Scott, the more I don't like him. And when we talked about weight, when we talked about the story originally, and we talked about, you know, what he was going through and how he felt when he saw Jean and, and, you know, even us talking about the trauma of the fact that he thought that Madeline basically was Jean, all of that, that was like, okay, maybe I have a soft spot for that. Maybe I can find some compassion. But the man is just straight up, what I'm getting from these issues is that he not only left Madeline, but he didn't tell her where he was going. He didn't connect so, with her after. And he's not telling Jean like, hey. Um, so he eventually tells Jean. And he goes back to Alaska. That was X Factor 13 that I was referencing before. And mm-hmm. Madeline right, and is gone, gone and wiped from existence. And he has no idea. And, and he actually has a, some really emotional reactions to that. So the fact that you know, the baby's gone, she's gone. Actually, he ends up seeing her message on that broadcast, Madeline's message on that broadcast, and, and flips out because he thought that the baby was with her. He's like, what do you mean find our son? And so it's a lot of like unknown and and it's a lot of kind of ridiculous unknown because Mm -hmm. of just there's like ships passing in the night, not seeing each other or missing these things. But yes. All right, fine. But just someone should have had a conversation with the costume designer. Moving on. Okay, Madeline, what are you? uh... So in 233, Madeline is having a intense dream. She is frolicking. She's flying around. She finds Scott and her son. They're in love. They're kissing. And in this dream, she's approached by Gateway, who, as we see in the panels, has actually found her in real life. Oh, no. He's trying to do something about her. Wake her up. But she pushes him away and creates this blazing inferno, this blazing fire. And from that fire... What is this artwork? Who is he kissing? Well, from that fire, a featureless woman comes. That is... Okay, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought that was Charles Xavier. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's bald? Because it's bald. It's basically like a featureless mannequin. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. That Scott immediately takes hold of and kisses. Oh, my. And now this is all happening in, in her mind. Right. This is not real. Oh, God. Questionable. These are manipulations. Jason, are you here? No. (laughs) Scott takes away the wings that she's imagined for herself. You're not special like us. Oh. You're only human. Can't keep him either. Wait. Oh, this is so He's a mutant, sweetheart. He should be raised by his own kind. He takes her hair, her mouth, her eyes. You see her crying and puts it onto... The featureless body. This is a creepy. This is if this was if I had a dream like this, I would wake up probably like sweating and sobbing. Yeah, or or as an evil goblin queen. Yep. Okay. After all those transformations, Scott and Jean, who has now been recreated from Madeline's features, walk away together with the baby, leaving Madeline alone. My goodness. She would scream, but she has no mouth. Oof. A nothing being in a nowhere place, abandoned and alone. Yikes. That's that's the end of what happens in that issue. And then we go to the next issue and we catch back up with Madeline still unconscious in the base. You even see on the screen, you can see on the screens the 
dreams that she's having, the images that are being manipulated into her mind, feeding this idea of what's actually happening to her. Whoa. So throughout this, she's losing her identity. She doesn't know who she is anymore. She's losing her sense of self. She starts moving through as this nothing being, the the deserts of Australia. She's melting? The sun burns away and reveals who she actually is. Oh. And that person coming up out of the water is greeted by... Sim. Oh, Sim. He's from the the limbo. Limbo. Yep. So he is Belasco's demon who then becomes Ilyana's demon when she is the ruler of limbo. Yes. It's starting to make sense to me now. The connections between Ilyana and Madeline and who's in charge of limbo. Mm -hmm. We're inside your head. Remember, aren't we all friends here? Live and learn. That's Sim's motto. He starts telling Madeline, offering her power as she lost her identity, as she's still struggling to grasp who she really is. All these possibilities, all these potentials in his nails, these images of who she has been, who she could be. And he offers her power. If you can't indulge in your wildest fantasies in a dream, then where? Hubby boy Scott, he dumped you. I love him. Doesn't that make it worse? He hurt you, Madeline. Hurt him back. Ooh. What the heck? It's only a dream. Wrong. Wrong. At the end, she is transformed, given this black cloak. And in the last page of this issue, we see... Oh, that parallel image there. Mirroring what she has become in real life. Let's pause for a second. What just happened to Madeline? She somehow is in limbo or she's somehow in an alternate dimension turning into the Goblin Queen, but she's not in the other world and looks like so she's in limbo or some sort of alternate dimension and she's being transformed. But I'm interested to see how that's going to manifest itself in the real world. Right. She's been she's been radically changed through this experience. Right. So there there are some. Instances in Marvel Comics where the dream world is actually an alternate dimension. Mm-hmm. You know, there are actually ways right, like, to access like through Danny the Like Danny Moonstar plane, right? and yes. all of that. Yeah. Demon so, Bear Saga. Right. Essentially, that's what's happening here. Sim is tapping in through that ability to do that and reach her and manipulate her and, and transform her into this other identity. So when she wakes up, she's going to basically be that other person or when she wakes up she's going to take the steps to make herself that other person she has the potential to be that other person now it's now seeded within her it's in her core got it but there is another manipulation that drives her further okay in uncanny x-men 235 we get the first appearance of the island nation of genosha uh-oh uh-oh Genosha is a place where bad stuff happens. Yes. Historically, <laughs> yes. But it's actually not the Genosha you know. What? It's the original Genosha, which is a place where mutants are slaves, property of the government. Well, that's the Genosha that was in the animated series. Yes. That's the original Genosha. Got it. Property of the government. They abduct children who show the gene and take them, ripping their free will, turning them into mutates and making them work for the country. Oof. This actually sets up what will be the crossover after Inferno. After the original Inferno. Right. Got it, got it. 
Just keeping my story straight over here. Yeah, we're only talking about original These story. comics. Yes. Got it. But so all that happens, but it's not really what we're talking about right now. What we're talking about right now, we had to introduce Genosha because Madeline is working as a pilot in Australia, especially as the X-Men are off doing things. She's working as a pilot as part of the service auxiliary, flying doctors to where they're needed throughout the country. Okay. She's hired to fly this doctor to this location where this group, the press gang, is waiting to ambush them. Oh, no. Because the doctor that she's flying is actually an escaped Genosian mutant. So someone that no one that you know. Oh. Someone that falsifies their test information to prove negative that they're not a mutant and then runs from the country. Oh. As they're coming in, one of the members of the press gang can see Madeline with his eyes, but can't get a read on her with any technology. Oh, because she's part of the group. Right. So they see this as well, we should just take her too because we she's don't know probably a mutant because she, she can be hide mutant. from technology exactly so they kidnap her as they also kidnap jenny ransom and they take them both back to genosha digitally this one guy is able to digitize and send people through a network oh interesting but cool so all that that was just the four pages of that issue that's that's it and then okay the, that's it so she's in genosha she's there in she, genosha she's she, captured in genosha okay there she is now, throughout all this, the X-Men are in, like, their heavy action mode. They're out saving things, solving missions, actually being called to Genosha themselves. Mm. And they pass through. They meet up in Australia. And these three panels at the bottom, it's literally just these three. There's this demon, Nastier. Nastier. He's trying to reach Maddie. Oh. Referred because... by Sim. Aha. Uh-huh. But he can't get her. She's no longer there. Because she's in Genosha. Sorry, Nastier. Sim told me to get in touch with you regarding some special merchandise you're interested in. But since you're not about, I'll ring back later. (laughs) Have a nice day. What a funny thing. Yeah. Just a voicemail from... A demon. A demon. Later on in the issue, we actually see Madeline and Jenny on the tables. The ransom girl registers, but this other woman doesn't. As far as our electronics... Metascanners are concerned she doesn't exist. We'll have to examine her manually. Oh, no. But Nastier is actually able to find and contact her right here. Oh. She quietly whispers, later. Later. Not now. I'm busy. As he destroys the computer screen and he's like, okay, fine, milady. <laughs> Your slightest wish, milady, is my command. So later, I'll just destroy this machine so I can't bother you again. Basically. So that is issue 236. 237, it's just this one page. As the rest of the issue, it's just this one page. As the full rest of the Genosian story continues, Wolverine and Rogue are actually on Genosha doing a mission. Okay. They've been captured. Oh, no. It's actually about them. It's actually an interesting story about Rogue being, well, interesting, but tragic. Rogue being repressed rogue being attacked by some security guards and and broken essentially oh no to the point where she retreats into her subconscious and carol danvers is able to take over oh dang so carol danvers actually lives in rogue's brain because of their connection having taken all of her power and made it her own yeah oh whoa totally another story totally for another day don't go down that rabbit hole right now 
So tell me about this little baby-looking spacesuit Maddie's got on. <laughs> so this is Madeline being bonded into a skin suit. It's described as a marvel of engineering, trapping her inside, essentially replacing her skin. All right. We get some information about the Genegineer, who is... In- <laughs> Yes, no, that should be funny. <laughs> the engineer. Who is essentially in charge here in Genosha, creating mutate children from genetic material. Because they're unable to access her through their scanners, they have a telepath that's going to enter her mind. Oh, no. Who is it going to be? It's just someone that works for Just Genosha. a standard Genosian telepath. Yeah, okay. We don't even know. I don't even think we get a name. Okay. The beginning of the next issue. We start inside Madeline's mind as she's projecting how she perceives herself. Oh. And the telepath and everyone else is watching on. Well, isn't that just a little little house on the prairie vibe? Madeline is actually able to discern and, and visualize the gene engineer as the one who's asking the questions, which she should not be able to do. Everyone that is observing this freaking out. Oh, no. He claims that she's not human and orders her to be killed by the magistrates. Oh, no. Essentially the police force of Genosha. But when they try, you can even see (gasps) the phoenix Phoenix bird in her eye. When they try to shoot her down, she bursts into flames. How did she get the phoenix? Transforms into fire and ruins the entire landscape, leaving just her and the engineer with complete control of how they look. She's in her tattered cloak. With all that under boob. But the Ginger is wearing a sinister cape. And Ginger looks like Mr. Sinister. <laughs> As a warning to your masters, be careful when you strike a match, even if only to light your way through darkness, because you never know when you'll ignite an inferno. Ooh. The team reacts. That she took control in a mental interrogation and killed the examination team in 13 seconds. Whoa. This is some extreme display of power that they have no idea how to handle. She's not supposed to be a mutant. I don't understand. They interrogate her later on. Just what are you? Mutant prisoner 9818. The pilot you kidnapped. The woman you and your pet Gestapo have been happily torturing. So she's in her cell, but so is Jenny Ransom. The woman that she's captured with. I didn't even ask any questions about Jenny Ransom because I just felt like Maybe I was going to be told exactly that. Largely unimportant. Okay. Relative to this story only, I believe, maybe comes back at some point later on. I don't know for sure. Well, her and Jenny are chilling in their cell. And the X-Men are on the island as well. Havoc runs into... Havoc runs into someone else who's looking for Jenny. She's a prisoner here. So they team up and locate the two of them as Madeline is about to get shot down by the Genegineer. Oh, no. But she's saved by this man and by Havoc. Madeline, about time, lover. Oh. I was beginning to wonder if you'd forgotten me. Never. Just like your brother did. Yeah. (laughs) So that's really the start of a, what has been kind of simmering in the background between the two of them. Mm. But now is a full-blown, something's going on between Alex and, and Madeline. And that issue ends... With the two of them uniting and everyone else being a little uncertain about what's happened to Madeline while they've been gone. Yeah, well, it seems like a lot. This she definitely where... seems different. She definitely does. 
That was 238. 239, we're only going to look at the cover. Oh, what a... Sinister Schemes, Ignite Inferno. Oh, no. Oh, dear. We're only going to look at the cover? That's it. That's the end of the episode. Oh, okay. So, the real Inferno, the OG Inferno is about to happen? Right now, yeah. Right now, but we're not going to talk about it, but like, it's about to happen? Yes. Okay. And this was essentially to give you an understanding of Madeline and get you to this point. Yes. Helpful. Good stuff. Because Inferno is the third crossover mm-hmm. and essentially is like Dark Phoenix part two in the sense that it just weaves in so much continuity. Mm. There are seeds throughout and I'm focusing on two characters. Did you pick out who the other character was? There are some clues in, in season three as well. Which I don't know if you... <laughs> what? Mr. Sinister? No. It's another X-Men. It's another mutant. What are some of the other classic episodes that we've done? Just tell me who it is. I'll tell you in a bit. Okay. So, that was Madeline's story that brought her to this point. Brought her into being or assuming the role of Goblin Queen. I, I titled this part, X-Men to Goblin Queen. Mm, I mean, it's definitely an interesting journey for her as a character in that she you know started out as just a regular lady who was a clone but just a regular lady and the journey of sort of being part of the x-men team without actually being a mutant and then you know you think about it you're like okay well so she's she's in this dream dimension like why why is a demon speaking to her? And like, what is that connection? And that's a lot of transformation for her as a character to get to the point that she is at now. And, you know, with her trauma and her feelings of neglect, I can see like why she spirals into a dark place. Especially because of all of these forces manipulating her and and distressing her and abandoning her and, yeah. It's Madeline, just, Madeline is very much the victim in my mind and yeah. in a lot of people's mind. T-shirt says justice, justice for, for Madeline. Madeline. Yeah. Right. So she is a, a pawn in a lot of people's plans. Yeah. You know, you've got Mr. Sinister. You've got the Gene Engineer. You've got Sim and Nastier. Gene Engineer is Mr. Sinister. No, he's not. That's who she projected oh, something she, to. That was, I in, see. that was in her mind. Got it. She had control. Got it. The Gene Engineer has nothing to do with Mr. Sinister. But yeah. And even, you know. Even kind of for Cyclops. She was like a right. substitute for Jean yep. until Jean came back. She is just who other people need her to be. Oof. Which is why the idea That's of... That's a heavy statement. Right. Which is why the idea of, in Hellions, I'm my own person. I am a real person. Mm. Is so resonant to her character. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'm interested to see what exactly she does in inferno oh, yeah. and i would also I, I, the, my burning question which i know might just be because i'm burning question haha ha, um might just be because i i haven't been reading it all and maybe it's in there somewhere is just sort of what exactly is going on with her and having powers like how does she, does did that happen because of the connection to the demon like did the the transformation of the demon sort of gifting her the goblin queen does that give her powers what are her powers like how is she a mutant exactly so so, i mean it's not revealed in this episode but as you have 
mentioned several times, she is a clone of Jean. Yes. So she has the genetic potential of Jean Grey. Got it. And there's also some things that we will discuss in Inferno that fast track that potential. Got it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Interested to see where it goes. And I always, you know, I love Sinister. So I'm excited for a little more Sinister in my life. And uh, Isn't that a cool cover? It is a cool cover. Look at the, the symbol on his chest. It looks awfully similar to the symbol that she was drawing for the X-Men. Right. Something mm. subconscious in her mind. Perhaps. Also remember that in this time, Jean Grey doesn't have her telepathy. Right. Does someone else have her telepathy? Or someone else have that psionic power transferred somehow? Madeline. Potentially. Potentially. Cool. Any thoughts? Any questions? Any any big reactions? You, you like Madeline? <sighs> yeah, I like Madeline. I was like an underdog and she feels kind of like an underdog in a sense. Thoughts on, on her Goblin Queen look? No, I don't want to talk about it. It's it, it's impractical. It's, there's no way her boobs not pop right out of that. <laughs> I have I think I've said this before. Like, the, first of all, you would definitely see some areola up in there. Unless, I don't know. She's got unusually and, high areola. And what is like... With the bottoms, does she have underwear on? Is it like a really thin thong? Like, what's going on? How is this practical to do any sort of fighting? How are any super outfits practical? Some of them are totally practical. Some of them, sure. but They're like the form-fitting and they're yeah. made out of like athletic material I mean, that's, and that's they're good for form-fitting. Just not fitting everything. It's form-fitting, okay, on her arms. But let me tell you, if she lifts her arms up, boobs out no no that's tight leather it doesn't matter there's nothing <laughs> anchoring it down the woman must use so much boob tape yeah probably or just demon magic i guess demon magic and the skirt is just it's way too long you would trip right on it and like it can't be comfortable it's got to be breezy it's got to be cold are there any stories that we kind of lightly passed through that stuck out to you as interesting well the the Stormforge power gun situation um, and the rogue Carol Danvers stuff. I think those are the two that are sticking out in my mind as interesting. Anything to do with Kitty and Ileana? Anything to do with Kitty and Ileana. Anything. Do you know who the other character of season three is going to be? The other character of Inferno? I mean, there's a lot of people that are important to Inferno, but... Havoc? No. It's a character whose first appearance we've done in an episode in season two. It's a character who we did an episode about their miniseries. It's a character who plays a pivotal role in the Demon Bear saga. It's a character who you've mentioned. Magic. Within, yes. <laughs> within the last five seconds. Oh, Alicia, magic because magic and Madeline battle over Limbo. Ooh, this is exciting. It's also really relevant. So this is leading into the season finale of season three, mm. but also is hyper relevant to what's going on with them in New Mutants, right? So yeah. this juxtaposition between the two of them and thematically ties into Inferno. You said the other day, I thought you said the end of season three would be at the end of Inferno. And I did. You did. You just meant the end of this Inferno, yes, not I the did. end of that Inferno. Yeah. <laughs> you little trickster, you. That's me. 
It's exciting to get to know more about magic when I just chose to make her my next cosplay, too. Yeah. Cool. I always enjoy. What do we call this one? What's this one called? It's not really retcon. It's not retcon Wrangler. In my mind, and I mean, now the cat's out of the bag, and especially when I show you this, and, and you even called it at the beginning, are we doing Inferno? In my mind, I had called it Madeline Pryor, The Road to Inferno, or, or mm. The Claremont Run, Madeline Pryor, or you know, I have the subset of episodes of The Claremont Run. Uh, I think it's The Claremont Run, Madeline Pryor. Nice. And then the next one would be The Claremont Run, Ileana Rasputin. Oh, and then that's the next one? Yes. <laughs> I can't wait for that one. When do I get... The Claremont run, Kitty Pride. Well, I mean, Kitty Pride is a much more central character that takes a lot more. Yeah, there, there's not really a fast track through that. That. All right, that's fine. Great work. Are you excited about Inferno? Yeah. Are you interested in reading it? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I'd read it. Maybe over vacation. Oh, maybe over vacation. All right. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, cool. Until next time, old friend. Charles. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. 